Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk to you about the Kingdom of God. I'm constantly hearing people say, oh, the kingdom of God is not here on earth. It's not an earthly kingdom, etc., etc. And this is, this is one of the great, uh, false teachings that are floating around in modern Christendom that is simply, uh, completely void of the teachings and, and of, of Christ, of the early church. They were government. You kind of have to know how governments operated at that time. Not a lot different than they operate today. As a matter of fact, uh, governments around the Roman Empire, throughout what it was called the Roman Empire, which was kind of a... You know, there were a lot of countries in that area that actually are they're still drawn on maps as if they were a part of the Roman Empire, and they were actually independent republics. But they had kind of a mutuality with the Roman Empire. Rome had not conquered Israel, or what we knew as Judea, at the time that Jesus Christ was walking through Judea. It had not really conquered it. That didn't come until the fall of Jerusalem. But it had compromised people claiming to be the government of Judea. Uh, Certainly, Aristobulus was compromised, uh, when the Romans were invited in by him. But Hyrcanus would not make any treaties with Rome. They let Rome come in, but they uh, Rome came in and built roads, built harbors, uh, did all sorts of things. They, they actually came in as a peacekeeping force. But over a period of time, because of the fact that Rome was offering all kinds of benefits, not only to the people, they gave away free bread to the people on a regular basis. Uh, Augustus Caesar even made rules that you could get, you know, if you were a Jew, you could go to the Roman temples and Roman buildings where they gave out this free bread, and you could get it on a day that wasn't your holiday, you know, because sometimes the Jewish holiday fell on a day that they were giving away bread, and the Jews didn't get any of the free bread. So they said Jews could come on another day after their holiday, and Augustus actually wrote a law stating this. Because it's the free bread that brought Judea into bondage. Well, it wasn't just free bread for them. It was also benefits for the uh, king. They protected the king. The king didn't have to have his big army because they were protecting him. Because that was what they were invited in to to begin with. Hercules wouldn't make an agreement with them when they said that they would help Hercules maintain his throne. He said, you know, I can't make a deal with you. Because my kingdom's not of your world. I can't make a league, a contract, a treaty with you to get your protection and support. Because that's forbidden in our Holy Scriptures, which was the Torah at that time. In our law at that time. So, he didn't. But the Pharisees did. The Pharisees went to uh, Pompey and said, Pompey, will you get these guys out of our temple? We can't get them out because Aristobulus guys were hiding in the temple. This is not a conquered people, but they were becoming conquered because they were looking to the Roman government to solve their problems. If you look to any government that exercises authority one over the other to solve your problems, 
you are going to go under authority. That's the way it works. It's that simple. Because you're you're trying to play the game of Cain, Nimrod, Lamech, the evil Pharaoh, Caesars of the world. You're trying to exercise authority one over the other. I'm constantly impressed with the fact that uh, uh, rich Hollywood uh, movie stars are so pro-socialism. I mean, they're rich. They, they got all kinds of wealth. I mean, huge, obscene amount of wealth. Not that there's anything wrong with wealth. That's fine. Hey, God cursed me with wealth. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if he so wills it, I, I'm, I'm not praying for wealth. It's up to, it's up to God. I, I, I don't have enough intelligence to know whether I should be wealthy or not. Uh, I, I could be very easily tempted by it. You know, Saul was tempted by the power they gave him and it corrupted him. So, I don't want God to give me things that would corrupt me. What they want is socialism because of the fact that they have guilt. Because they have all this wealth and usually they really haven't earned it. I mean, not, you know, not by the sweat of their brow. They get it because they pay these high, high, uh, salaries or whatever. I don't know if they call them salaries, dividends, whatever, uh, for acting for a few days on the screen and they get millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and they buy you know, multi-million dollar mansions, you know, three or four here and there all over. And uh, the amount of pay that they get for the amount of work they get is phenomenally uh, different than the average worker who goes out and works all day and sweats and gets his hands calloused and dirtied. And, and he doesn't get nearly that kind of pay for the kind of work that he does. So it's disproportionate to the actual labor that they uh, put out. And they feel guilty for that. And, and actually, I don't think they should necessarily feel guilty for that. They should take their wealth and use it wisely. There are some stars who really share their wealth around. And they don't live high on the hog. And, uh, and Although I don't even care if a person builds a mansion. Because they build a mansion, they have to pay somebody to do it. So they're teach, you know, they buy, buy a big boat. It's not wasting money. Because the boatmaker got paid for building the boat. It's extravagant. It may be self-indulgent. But it's, you know, money spent is money earned. But they feel guilty because they have all this money. And so they they want to pretend to take care of the poor without actually shelling out their wealth. That's, that, that's, there's a problem with that. They want to shell out your wealth. They want socialism. They want to force other people to contribute. You know, they they will be wealthy even with 75% income tax. Although they hire lawyers and accountants to make sure that they don't pay a lot of income tax. Um, the reality is is that they, they want to force others to pay and take care of the poor. When if they actually came together like Christians, they could take care of the poor without forcing anybody to do anything. But they don't even know what Christianity is. Some of them may have even a good heart. They they just don't know. They're actually motivated to do what they do, to think the way they think, because they're ignorant. And sometimes it's because they're actually vampires and zombies. <laughs> and maybe even a few werewolves out there. And, uh, you know, I sent out an article this week called Abandonment. And it says in it, the, it starts out with the first line, the spiritual replication of evil occurs in the unforgiving heart of the victims of injustice. 
Now, that, that, that statement is just packed full of insight for those who have insight. For those who don't have insight, they don't even get what that means. But I, I go on to say that we're werewolves, vampires, and zombies that we see in the movies and books, etc., uh, all spread their demonic identity, uh, their their dark spiritual DNA, the, you know, the poison of their personality. You can say it a lot of different ways. By infecting their victims with their bite. They bite you and you become a vampire, werewolf, or zombie. That little, whatever, psychological quirk of the authors who write about these monsters. I mean, Frankenstein doesn't do that. But Frankenstein is composed of, uh, you know, the monster, Frankenstein, not the doctor, is composed of all sorts of different people. But somebody puts the brain of a, of a criminal in Frankenstein. And they end up with a criminal Frankenstein. Uh, at least that's the way the story kind of goes. And uh, and what is that? Are, do you have the mind of Christ or the mind of a criminal? So these horror stories are actually, you know, the, from the nightmares of authors. <laughs> and uh, sometimes they're drug-induced. Uh, but uh, the point is, is that this infection of the personality of a vampire, zombie, or a werewolf comes because they bite the other person and infect them somehow with their own disease of evil. Is that happening to you? Is that happening to the people of the world? Are are they bit? Are they contaminated by the injustices that occur to them, by the trauma? A child, a small child who's abandoned by his parents. Maybe he's not even really abandoned. Maybe his parent died. Maybe they divorced, and one of the parents is suddenly pulled out of, of their existence. And, I mean, and I see this all the time in counseling people, you know, where uh, a mother may have to flee her husband, or uh, a father, you know, he's got a, a terrible temper, and and uh, the mother flees uh, or divorces him for the, her protection and the protection of the children. You know, now where does temper come from? He was some kind of monster. Well, he was bit the generation before. The kingdom of heaven is from generation to generation. Kingdom of hell is from generation to generation too. The sins of the father are visited upon the sons for seven generations. What are they talking about? It's They're talking about passing down the evil that occurred in one generation to the next generation. And how does that happen? It, well, it happens because you're contaminated you're you're bit you're you actually the your mere presence in the life of your children will pass on to them certain weaknesses and maybe to some degree certain strengths that you have they're passed down to your children genetically dna epigenetic dna just the water in their bodies can start to pick up the personality. There's a lot more empathy going on in relationships. And just being in the same house with somebody else who has an emotional problem, being in, you know, husband and wife sleeping together, they begin to pick up on the problems of their spouse. And I'm not saying they develop those problems, but they begin to see the symptoms of those problems, the symptoms of the problems that are created by those problems. Those emotional problems create physical symptoms. And they're passed on through 
your close proximity and through interaction and relationships in, in many, 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 many subtle ways. Just saw, just this week, I saw that there were two twin Chinese girls who were adopted out in America and they didn't know they were from twins. They they were adopted by, uh, you know, Americans. Uh, one, I think, in Wisconsin, the other one in Washington State. And... Uh, and one, I don't know, they were like 9, 10, 12 years old. And one said she missed, she wanted to have a sister. She missed having a sister. She wanted That's what she wanted for Christmas. And the mother began to, uh, the adoptive mother began to look into it because she remembers it or saw a picture of the daughter when she was still in China. And the woman was holding another child that looked very similar at the same time. And... She followed it up and found out that she did have a sister, a twin sister. And they were parted at birth. And uh, the little film that you see on uh, the internet shows the first time that they get to meet. And they're just crying their eyes out and everything. They they had talked on the phone briefly. And they're supposedly, I don't know how this is the story, is that they were wearing identical outfits. But uh, that wasn't a setup, supposedly, that... They just happened to be wearing identical outfits, identical glasses. And uh, one of the parents remarked almost immediately, I can't tell them apart because <laughs> they were they were just identical. They had manifest all kinds of identical personality traits and interests. They were both very interested in football. Why? Why is that? I mean, I've told the story about two sisters. One was born and uh, I think about ten years later the other one was born or nine years later the other one was born, something like that. And uh, the, But the second one was born without any legs. Well, the first one went on to be a gold medal gymnast for the, in the Olympics. And the second one, when she was just a small girl, I don't know, five or so, got fascinated with that gymnast and wanted to be like her, and her parents actually bought her a trampoline, and she started learning to jump and tumble and everything. No legs. And she went on to compete in state tournaments and played basketball, and was, till recently, I think she still is, made her living as a gymnast, performing in front of uh, huge crowds. Uh and she has no legs. I, I mean, when I watch her perform, I can't even imagine how she's doing it. <laughs> she's doing it. Well, they were actually sisters. She never knew that. Her parents abandoned her. Her real parents abandoned her, her father at least, at her birth because she was born without legs. And he was, you know, fanatic about being a gymnast. So she never even saw her parents, never even knew who her sister was. But she became fascinated. Her idol was her sister. She didn't know it was her sister. Didn't know that's where she came from. Didn't know she had any relationship to the girl. But she was drawn to her and drawn to becoming a gymnast. But had no legs. She overcame that anyway and became a gymnast. A, a remarkable one. That's not just a coincidence. I tell the story of the, the mother and daughter. who The mother has to give away her daughter when she's in high school because she got pregnant. She ends up marrying the boy eventually and they... They live together as husband and wife for years and years, but are always unable to have children. And uh, she's she's going to retire and turn her business over to one of her many employees, you know, in another city way off from where she had given birth to this child. 
and it ends up she discovers the woman she's going to turn the business over to is her actual daughter. Out of millions and millions of people, her daughter ends up working for her, not knowing it's her mother. And she ends up being drawn towards this girl who is her daughter to give her the business, the inheritance, so to speak. Uh, you know, I mean, she's going to turn it over to her. Uh, she's not just giving it to her at first, but she didn't even know it was her daughter. Those events, you can't write that. You can't make that up. That's not coincidence. There's a spiritual drawing of these people together. So if if those beautiful stories can take place, this is one of the things the two Chinese girls, they asked her right there on that first day, so what do you think? And she says, her, this is her heartfelt answer, now I'm complete. Because she wasn't complete until she could be near her sister, meet her sister, talk with her sister. Because they were bound together from the womb. Spiritually, genetically, they were connected. They were hearing each other's thoughts in ways that we don't quite understand yet. Or at least modern science is beginning to discover, but don't quite grasp. How do they have this invisible connection? Cause you, you can study, there's lots of twins who were separated at birth, never knew they had a twin, and the parallels in their lives are, are spooky. They're connected. So now you get married. You're connected. You have children. You're connected in ways you can't see. I mean, the stories, I could go on and on about the stories, but we're going back to understand this spiritual replication. You can pick up on the pain. You know, people who I know who, who can heal. Everybody can heal. You, you, everybody has the power to heal to some degree. Sometimes it's not quite so obvious, but you don't know how much you influence the healing of other people. But if you can influence the healing of other people, you can influence the bad things that happen to other people. The anger, the resentment, the sickness, the perversions. You can pass them on too. And so what's your defense against all this? And what's really going on? I mean, you can actually pick up on somebody else's Somebody has a stomach ache. Somebody has anxiety about something. Somebody has fear about something. You can pick up on that. I mean, this in a crowd where there's a great deal of fear going on, there's what they call mass hysteria. That's just people empathetically picking up on the fear and, and anxiety of everybody else until it begins to become self-generating in the crowd. I mean, that's why people go to political rallies. That's why they go to these uh, big religious vi revivals, is they want to pick up on that energy. Vampires love to go to those things. People with a vampire personality, because they're, they're, they're psychically picking up on the energy. That's why they get these big, you know, energy-filled events where people are jumping around and, and screaming and slaying people in the spirit. But none of that is Christ. <coughs> <clears throat> so, understanding that that process goes on every day when you, you sit on a, on a bus or gather in a crowd or sit in a church or sit in a, wherever it is that you go, you're actually picking up some of the personality or the feelings of some of the personality. That's one of the things that in understanding healing, sometimes you, you, you're, you're picking up on somebody else's pain and you think there's something wrong in you. Because you're not distinguishing, you know, what you're picking up on from what is actually you. So how do you deal with that? If you're picking up somebody else's pain, you're getting their stomach ache, your their anxiety, whatever. 
If you receive that pain empathetically, with love and patience, the pain will leave you. And if you also extend that love out to them, the pain could leave them. You can actually heal them. Now, you can't do this on your own. I mean, the natural process is built into the human body to do this. But if you try to do this on your own, it will drain you. You have to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I guess you got to get bit by God. <laughs> you know, you have to pick up the spiritual DNA of God, of Christ. And so, what is the spiritual DNA of Christ? Did Christ uh, come here for what he could get out of it? Did he come here? Did he gather with us and the apostles for the good feeling he was going to get on Sabbath when he goes to meetings with the apostles? Is that why Jesus came here? I mean, if you're going to come in the name of Christ, you've got to come for the same reason and motivation and inclination as Christ. You've got to get bit by Christ. Christ ain't going to bite you. He's not going to infect you. You have to reach out and receive Him. And then you have to act in accordance with the Spirit, the character, the name of Christ. And you will be infected by the DNA of Christ. But it's a choice with Christ. Evil doesn't want to give you a choice. That's one of the big differences between Satan and God. God knows there is no love without choice. And you you make the choice, not in your mental head, but down in your soul, in your spirit. You make the choice as to receive the truth, to see the truth. See, in order to receive the truth of Christ, you must see the truth of yourself. You must see your own selfishness in order to receive the character, the name of Christ in you so that you can go about blessing and giving life instead of like the werewolves, vampires, and zombies who take away life. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about uh, this whole idea of uh, passing on personality or infecting people with a personality. I mean, you get angry and you get mad at your wife and then she gets in a bad mood and then it passes on to... I mean, there's an old uh, Danny Kaye movie where somebody, you know, it's a comedy and somebody does something wrong and... Uh, and I don't know, it was the, the king turns and smacks the mayor, and the mayor turns and smacks the chief of police, and the chief of police turns and smacks one of the policemen, and he turns around and smacks one of the citizens, and he turns around and kicks a goat. 
And, of course, uh, that's kind of a joke on the old, you know, laying your hands on the goat and uh, sending it out with your sins kind of thing. You pass these things on. You know, you pass these, and they're usually related to some sort of traumatic event in your life. Whether the, the, the injustice or the trauma was intended or not, you can still react to it. Small children are very susceptible to the fact that suddenly a parent at one year's age, two years of age, the parent disappears out of their life. I mean, like I say, they die. They didn't abandon their child, but they will feel that spirit of abandonment. And if they're unforgiving, you know, if they feel that pain and resent it, they don't, they, they're not thinking out, I'm not going to forgive my mother for dying or my father for dying. They don't think this out. They just feel the loss and they don't forgive the loss. They don't forgive God because God is to blame for everything. You know, we blame God for everything. <laughs> and uh, how can you let this happen? People are always saying that. How can a merciful God allow war? Well, you allowed war. <laughs> he just gave you the choice. And the war came about because of a million little traumas throughout society that allowed people to make men king and join their armies and go off and kill other people. Now, sometimes war may come upon you, but I tell you, if you were really doing what Christ said, you would have the full armor of God. And people could not even make war on you. If somebody's able to make war on you, you probably got something left to learn. Because they would have no power to make war on you unless God permitted it. And if God is permitting people to make war on you, you've probably, probably been neglecting God. You know, everybody looks at the state of the nation, the state of the world today, and they, you know, they think, oh, this is all, you know, but, and sometimes they excuse it. Oh, it's all a part of prophecy. We don't have any power over it. You have all kinds of power. The power of repentance is unbelievable. The power of love is unfathomable. But you don't really love one another. Oh, you love your doctrines, you love your religion, you love your ideologies. You love how smart you are to figure them all out. But you don't really love like Christ loved. Because Christ did not come for what he could get out of congregating with the apostles. Do you congregate together with other people with the same character as Christ came to earth with? Do you gather for what you can give? Do you gather for how you can serve others? Do you gather together so that you can put your light upon a lampstand? Now, when I say put your light upon the lampstand, I don't mean go on and on about your particular private interpretation of Scripture. You're perfectly welcome to having a private interpretation of Scripture. You think that it means this or think that it means that. But you have absolutely no right to dictate it to anybody else. Or... I will love you if you will love my ideas. If you will love my teachings, I will love you. But if you don't see Christ the way I see Christ, if you don't see the Trinity the way I see the Trinity, if you don't see the interpretation of the Bible the way I see the interpretation of the Bible, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to gather with you. I'm not going to share anything with you. I'm not going to care about you. And what makes you different than all those people that passed up the man in the ditch? 
before the Good Samaritan came. The Good Samaritan did not hand the man a questionnaire. Uh, what are your beliefs? <laughs> before I help you out, I want to know what your beliefs are. Now, obviously, there are going to be people that gather in a congregation that are going to have dangerous beliefs. But what can cast those dangerous things out? But what should but the Holy Spirit? Are you really bringing the Holy Spirit into your congregation? Most of you who congregate together are not bringing much of the Holy Spirit into the congregation. You you bring your doctrines and your interpretations and your ideas, but you also bring your anger and your resentment and your uh, impatience and your intolerance. And and you know, a lot of the people that are gathering together in congregations, they're they're not real bad people. I mean, they're not like the wicked out there that are murdering and killing and and screaming and ranting. I mean, you see so many people throwing their temper tantrums. You know, the whole thing with the presidential election where he's not my president. They're going to go to Washington, D.C. and disrupt everything, shut Washington down because they don't want this fascist president taking over. And I don't know, he may turn into the fascist president. I mean, it is an office of power. And even Saul was corrupted by an office of power. So he may become a fascist president. But they're fascists already. The idea that they're going to go to a city and shut it down, shut the businesses down, shut transportation down as in their protest, that's fascist. <laughs> they're exercising authority. I mean, like what well, the headlines was is that anarchists are going to disrupt the inaugural proceedings. Anarchists aren't going to do that. That would be ruling over what other people want to do. Those aren't anarchists. Those are chaos, angry individuals who want to rule over what other people choose to do. If other people want to go and inaugurate somebody as President of the United States, they're perfectly free to go do that in my book. It may be stupid. Maybe they made a very poor choice. There wasn't much to choose from, in my opinion. (laughs) And the fact that they have an office with that kind of power Ruling so many people in in the world today is, in my book, kind of insanity. But that's where you're at. That's just the reality. I'm not here to change that. I'm here to bear witness to that which will really change you. Take you out of that equation. Put you on the other side of the equation over with Christ. And what will do that? Repenting. One of the things you need to repent of is trying to rule over other people. Trying to infect them with your ideology. You can't give other people the truth. What is the truth? The truth is spiritual. The law is spiritual. If anybody's going to receive the truth, they're going to receive it by divine revelation. Blessed are you, Simon, because you know this not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, flesh and blood, people might bear witness to Peter. Jesus might tell him stuff, explain stuff, show him that, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. It's more like this. That's what his parables always were. 
The kingdom of heaven is like. He's not telling you what it is. He says it's what it's like. And so you can ponder this and ponder your own inadequacies. Your own strain from what it is like. But to actually know what it is like is a revelation. God has to write it on your heart and your mind. I can't do that. You can't open up books and read and study and learn what the kingdom of heaven is. Now, you, I'm not saying don't open up books and read and study, but you're not going to get it by reading and studying alone because if that were true, then flesh and blood can reveal it to you. No, it's a spiritual revelation. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by grace. You are revealed the truth by grace, not by what I do. Now, I do what I do, but I work for Christ. I don't work for you. But Christ wants me to impart the truth to you as he shows it to me. But anyway, let's go back to this idea, the spirit of abandonment. God has never abandoned. You know, you always hear these little stories of, you know, God, where were you when all these terrible things were happening in my life? And... and and uh, he says, well, I was there. You were not with me. You, you were you were not really looking to me. I mean, we all want to believe that we believe in Christ and and that we have accepted Christ and that, uh, that Christ works in us. But it's not really true all the time. Uh, a lot of us have not really accepted Christ. We've accepted an image of Christ in our minds based on what we have intellectually learned through flesh and blood. But we haven't really accepted Christ because things wouldn't be so bad if you'd really accepted Christ. But they always, I I always think it's phenomenal where somebody says, oh, I accepted Christ on this day and they got a date and an hour and they can tell you the moment and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there may have been a very spiritual awakening at that particular time. But accepting Christ is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. And accepting Christ is not just accepting that Jesus was God. It's accepting the anointing of God, which is moment-by-moment. God's going to show you what to do in this moment that serves Him. And you're going to be aware of it if you really are moment-by-moment. And you're going to do what His will is. If you're really accepting Christ. And I see people all the time doing what is not the will of God. And can I prove it? Well, I can certainly talk about it. Show you. I mean, if you're coveting one another's goods. If you're taking a bite out of one another. You know, by uh, praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. In order to get things like social welfare... Uh, Social Security, public education, aid and assistance, uh, because you know uh, you know you have to take care of your parents or your you know or or maybe one of your siblings or maybe one of your children. Uh, if you're if you have to do that, and you may have to do that in order to survive, but if you don't realize that there's a problem with that, then you don't really know Christ. If you're not striving and working to create a network based on charity that will help you in the case of charity is needed, if, if charity is needed, 
you have a network that actually is feeding that lifeblood of charity through that network so that you do not have to go to men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority. If you're not doing that, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because it is not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods. We know that. That's that's, that's just basic stuff. I, and if you want benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other, you you don't you don't want what Christ wants. You want what Christ doesn't want. Christ does not want you forcing one another. He does not want you biting one another. He does not want you coveting your neighbor's goods so that you can survive. Now, it isn't about whether you're taking the benefit or not. It's about whether you're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness or not. That's what it's about. I mean, you're going to be saved by grace one way or the other, but are you really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are you seeking a network that, it, like the early church, that operated by faith, hope, and charity instead of force. I mean, how much force can you use to take from your neighbors so that you can have what you need and not be considered a sinner by Christ? I mean, it will. you have to become a doer of the Word. Not that doing saves you. You can't do enough. But by doing, you sacrifice. You sacrifice what you want. Instead, you do what God wants. That's what Christ did. Christ did not want to be crucified. Very clearly. He did not want to drink of that cup. But he was willing to do it. Because that's what God wanted. You have the same choice. Before you. Are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? We show you. Somebody was recently you know, complaining that I can't find anywhere in the Bible... Where God talks about the tens, hundreds, and thousands, other than, you know, way back, Jethro brought it up with Moses. And Jethro, tens, hundreds, and thousands were around long before that. I mean, Nimrod had the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but he was top-down authority. The most common form of government throughout the history of mankind has been voluntary systems based on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Sometimes they call it tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. But basically what they're talking about is a network. And it's either ground up grassroots you know voluntary mutualism and uh, where people get together and they form a network where people learn to care about one another it doesn't work the network doesn't work unless you have the character of Christ unless you come together in the name and character of Christ it's not going to work as a matter of fact if you don't come together in the character and name of Christ before you know it you'll be coming together in the name and character of Nimrod and you will still you will have a network, but you will have a network that we call Babylon. So, this is the most common form of government. But we we see early church fathers right away saying that the church fathers are taking the place of the Levites. They're doing what the Levites were supposed to be doing. We know at the time of Jesus Christ, the Levites were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Well, there was some of it going on. But they were not. And so much so that Jesus said that the Pharisees, which included Levites, are making the word of God to none effect. Why? Because they had created a social welfare system that operated by forced offerings. And John the Baptist said it. I said, don't do it by forced offerings. Do it by charity. Do it uh, concerning meats, food, bread, clothing, shelter, everything. Do it by charity. You, You look out in the world today, it's all done by force. 
And yet they call themselves a Christian nation. They are not a Christian nation. They are not following Christ. They are not coming together in Christ. But now, with that image in your mind, you know why you gather gather together in a congregation. Is your congregation gathering together to give? And I know there are some congregations that gather together and they do give. But do they give every week? And do they give only to help out those that are in need in their congregation? I'll, I'll reveal something to you. I think we've got enough time in this uh, segment. You go down to Mexico and you'll find, you know, especially if you go into the villages and stuff, sometimes in the neighborhoods of the bigger cities. But you go into those villages and there are very strong family units. Family is really important to to the Mexican culture. At least you'll find that a lot. It's not everywhere, but you'll find it a lot in the Mexican culture. That's great. You'll find it a lot in Africa. And you'll also find where there is village loyalty. Oh, he's from my village. You know, that that's really very important. Uh, in Africa, you find that same thing, but you also find he's of my tribe. He is a brother of my tribe. And that's that's really great too. All those things fall short of the kingdom of God. Because, you know, in Africa, if he's from your tribe, oh yeah, he's a brother and everything. But if he's not from your tribe, you can hack him up with a machete. Because he's from the other tribe. As a matter of fact, if he's from the wrong tribe, you want to hack him up with a machete. Because they're very tribal. That's not kingdom. Just focusing on your family is not kingdom. And we have had ministers in the past who have very good understanding of a great deal of this whole gospel of the kingdom. But they didn't quite get it. And, you know, I'd talk about it. I'd refer to it. I don't tell people everything because that would I would rob them of discovery. And also, there's a kind of litmus test. You you give them a certain amount of the dots, and then they put them together, and they draw a picture. But there are other dots that they don't see that are right there in front of them, but they don't see, and you didn't spell it out, so they don't connect them. And so their picture is not the kingdom. And you'll get a minister who wants to focus on his congregation. Just the same as you get a congregationalist, a congregant, who is looking for a congregation that has his particular private interpretation. If they don't have his particular private interpretation, they're out. Because the kingdom of heaven is not just in your head, it's in your spirit. You you intellectual guys, you carry a tremendous burden. you got to set the intellect down. That's the tree of knowledge. Start moving from the spirit. Start gathering together with the Spirit of Christ. I mean, Christ was gathering together with a bunch of apostles who were all over the board. So, what what are we really... What's really going on here? Well, anyway, the, the ministers were thinking, my congregation. And the way the kingdom works is this tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Always has. And uh, ten people... Pick a minister. Do they pick somebody who will talk at them for an hour and a half, two hours every Saturday or Sunday? And walk around and seem real holy and nice and sweet and everything and put, you know, bless you, my son, you know, kind of thing. That's a that's an image that we have of a minister. But that isn't what a minister is. A minister of the kingdom 
His main job is to make sure that the ten people that he serves, ten families that he serves, stay connected, interacting, that their families stay healthy, strong, not divorcing, not getting sick, not eating stuff that will poison them. And so he's he's kind of health educational welfare for them. But he's a kingdom minister. He, he's not even a member of the congregation he serves. He is a member or a congregant of the congregation of ministers he gathers with. And those ministers in common mutually accept another minister for them. That's going to care about them being all connected. Yeah, we had ministers who would pick a particular minister as their minister, but never made any real attempt to congregate with the people that were already in that minister's congregation. Now, you to miss that is to miss the whole kingdom. They could recite all kinds of things verbatim from you know the books I've written and from the Bible, etc. But they miss that. That just absolutely basic characteristic of the kingdom. Because, see, you can't be tribal. You can't be just your village, your congregation, and be like Christ. Christ came for the Samaritans. He, and there you see him going out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman, going out of his way to give you a parable about the good Samaritan. Samaritan were, were considered the dogs by Judea. The dogs of the world. But then he's talking about the good Samaritan. That's huge. He was not tribal. Kingdom is not tribal. It's not doctrinal in the sense that where you, you separate all these people, you know, 40,000 denominations out with different doctrines. Good good topic to, you know, is, is should a Protestant still be a Protestant? <laughs> should he ever have been a Protestant? We're, we're not seeking a top-down religious organization. We're not seeking the Church of Constantine. We're seeking the Kingdom of God. What does that look like? How does that operate? Unfortunately, a lot of us have been bit by werewolves, vampires, and zombies, or religionists, or other monsters who walk and go bump in the night. <laughs> and we picked up some of their thinking, their identity. And we are stuck in that. But if you walk in forgiveness, which is repentance, you know, even if they're pounding nails in you, you're forgiving them. They know not what they do. You can heal. You can come, the zombie can come alive again. You know, that we never see that in the zombie movies where the zombies come alive again can can we do that can we raise the dead can you be raised yes you can but you need repentance you need to think a different way we'll be right back to keys of the kingdom hang in there folks
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Talking about the spirit of abandonment and seeking the kingdom of God. We began to abandon God way back in the garden. That's where abandonment started. We abandon the Word of God, the way of God, the instructions of God. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We didn't eat of an apple tree. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We decided to decide for ourselves what was good and what was evil. Instead of relying upon the tree of life, which was really the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the tree of life is. It's the, it, it, God is the giver of life. He gives life like a candle gives off light. It just gives that light off. It's burning there eternally and giving life off. But if you abandon the Holy Spirit of God, don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Do not want to receive direction from the Holy Spirit of God. Want to do contrary to what God is telling you. You are abandoning God. You're, and you are cutting yourself off from the flow of that life. And the wages of doing that is death. You're cutting off life. Now, evil says, no, you can get life anyway, even if you're cut off from the Holy Spirit. From the tree of life. You can get, you will not die. You can live. What he doesn't tell you is you cannot live without biting one another, without eating somebody else's life, without consuming somebody else's life. But you abandon the tree of life. The tree of life did not abandon you. And I've told this story. There's no reason to believe that this is not true, this perception that I have of the cherubim who's put in the garden with this fiery sword. Is he keeping us out? And then the sword looks in all directions. What light looks in all directions? A beacon. The fiery sword, that light, is there to draw us back. But we don't want to see the light. We want to hide in the darkness. We want to continue in our abandonment because we do not want to see the truth of our sin. What is our sin? Rejecting 
the Holy Spirit in trying in pride trying to decide what is good and evil with our own intellect. We're going to figure it out. This is why studying is so dangerous. That's why it doesn't say in the Bible to study to show thyself approved, but be diligent to show thyself approved. That's the word there. It's not the word study. It's the word be diligent. It's only translated study in that one place in the Bible. Everywhere else it's translated be diligent. Why to be diligent? Because when you try to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, when you try to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty alone, you're going to come face to face with the fact that you're a selfish little pig. (laughs) I mean that in a loving sort of way. We are selfish little pigs. I mean... That, that's what we've become. We have to admit that. You know, because if we, we don't admit that, we stay pigs. And the pig returns to his vomit. And the, you know, the pig returns to his mire. And the dog to his vomit. We're dogs and pigs. And, you know, before Jesus was going to help out that one lady who wanted his, the blessings of his miraculous cures, I think it was for her daughter, she had to admit that she was a dog. She didn't have to bark like a dog. <laughs> she had to admit, she had to take this humble position. We need to take this humble position. We're dogs and pigs. And that's why we're back in this mire. If you want to get out of that mire, you have to admit that what you've been doing don't work. What you need to do is think another way. What works? Think like Christ. What did Christ think like? He thought like somebody who came to serve. This is why you congregate together. You've abandoned that idea. And you come to gather in a congregation. You think it's going to be like some church experience you had when you were little. Abandoned by your mother. Abandoned by your father. Abandoned by somebody. And you went to church and you got this good feeling. And you want to go to another church that gives you that good feeling. You don't go to church to get a good feeling. You go to church to... As a matter of fact, if you go to church and don't get a bad feeling from now on to time, you're probably not doing it right. And what is that bad feeling? Seeing yourself as you really are. That hurts sometimes. Seeing the truth about your own selfishness. Seeing the truth about your own impatience. Seeing the truth that you've become a pig and a dog. And maybe a werewolf, that's a dog, <laughs> and a vampire, and maybe a zombie. You've, you've lost some of the identity of Adam in his natural state. You've lost the ability to see the tree of life and receive from it. And how do you get that back? You repent. Think a different way and act upon that thinking. You must become a doer of the word. Not because your doing is going to make it so God owes you salvation, but because that's what it means to be diligent. Evil wants you to think there's nothing you have to do. There is something you have to do. It doesn't earn you salvation, but you have to do it because when you act according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then it leads you some more. When you don't act, when you do nothing according to the Holy Spirit, you don't follow the Holy Spirit. It's leading in your heart. Then the Holy Spirit leaves you. You must act upon what God is telling you and showing you. 
And one of the things that that will look like is that you will be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means that you will be seeking a kingdom, a network of people. Nimrod was a network. But you will be seeking a network like Christ where you take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. Not the needy of your congregation. People got together in a congregation in the Midwest when there was a big snowstorm. I tell the story all the time. And they were actually all talking disappointedly because everybody was doing okay. Nobody needed help. Everybody said, no, we're doing great. We got plenty of firewood. We got plenty of food. You know, we're just, you know, everything's great. The animals are all taken care of. And everybody's, oh, shoot, I wanted to help somebody out. <laughs> well, I can guarantee you there's somebody that needs help. There's plenty of people out there that need help. And there's a lot of them that are in these congregations that we already are starting to put together. But there's a lot more that are not in congregations yet. And I say in congregations. Congregating in the name of Christ. Congregating, seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Congregating to become that network that was the early church that was taking care of all the social welfare for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So that when Jerusalem fell, all the Christians had a place to go. When uh, 14,000 families were uh, evicted from Rome under Claudius, they had a place to go. They needed tents, so Aquila and Priscilla and Paul started making tents, but they had a place to go. That's the kingdom of God. What do you got? Oh, I got my Bible, and I got, it's so, you know, it's got little tabs all up and down, and it's got all kinds of little markings in it, and all this kind of stuff. But how is that kingdom? Oh, you're studying to show yourself approved, but you're not being diligent in showing yourself approved. And, of course, that's what the Bible actually says, to be diligent. Diligent what? If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, well, you know, that's not going to cut it for thousands and thousands of people. But that spirit will cut it if you really start doing it. Well, how do you know where to give that coat to? You can't move to the end of a road out in the woods and and disconnect from a network that is kingdom-oriented. I'm not talking about disconnecting from your little group of uh, groupies, kingdom groupies. You know, your little congregation. Those people that, you know, think like you think. You know, and we have, a, we have thousands of different denominations that are, that are doing this kind of thing. Where they, you know, they think like, you know, the Methodists or, or this Synod or the Baptists or... You know, and they've got all their little rules. You know, we got to wear this kind of clothes, and then it gets to extreme. We got to have the suspenders this wide, or whatever. And maybe your group is is a little freer than that, but you still have this trimming the corners of your beard. You're not really coming together like Christ. Christ didn't wasn't going around telling people, oh, you had to wear this kind of clothes, and you know that you had to do this. As a matter of fact, they were condemning this idea of trimming the corner of your beards was was creating that tribal philosophy. It was a way of identifying all these guys wore a certain kind of beard. All these guys wore a certain kind of hat. All these girls braided their hair in a certain way. And that proved that you were a part of this group. That's anti-kingdom. We all use the lunar calendar. Anti-kingdom. 
You can use the lunar calendar. It's great for figuring out when the feasts are going to be. But really, you have to be careful because God is trying to lead us to the Holy Spirit, not to a bunch of rules, pharisaical rules that you do this, that, and the other thing. You don't use the lunar calendar for navigation. You use a celestial calendar for navigation. You can, if you have the right equipment, use a little bit of the solar calendar for navigation, but you've got to have lots of charts. You know, and then you can use a sextant for navigation. And you're using the sun to figure where the horizon is. So you can figure where you are in longitude and latitude. But then you need to know what time it is. But uh, for figuring the feast, lunar calendar worked really good because you wanted to make sure that that festival ended up during a period of time where there was a full moon. Because you were going to need that because there were no street lights and flashlights and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just basic stuff. It's not magical. You know, just like I say, the Sabbath is not a day, it's a way. It's about debt and not being in debt. Working first and then getting your rest. Getting the reward of your work. Because you work first. It's about order. It's a principle. It's a precept. It should be written on your heart. And if it's written on your heart, you're going to be keeping the Sabbath and you don't even know what day it is. <laughs> yes. You're not going to want to take something before you earned it. You know, it's it's that simple. So anyway, but we abandoned God. We cut ourselves off from God. He wants us back. He's always wanted us back. But in order to come back to receive the anointing of Christ, you have to see the truth about yourself. You know, like I said, werewolves, vampires... Zombies all spread their demonic disease by biting one another. And they bite you with dishonesty. They bite you with a lie. Lies are unjust. You know, I always tease people about, you know, uh, the whole Santa Claus thing. That I was so disappointed in my parents to find out they had lied to me. (laughs) I've forgiven them. But uh, that was, that's actually kind of a trauma in itself. To find out that you can't trust your parents. I mean, you, you, you know, I always wanted to write a children's book, you know, that, uh, you know, I was uh, born in a land of giants. Because that's all children are born in a land of giants. Their parents are like giants. I mean, like, they pick me up and carry me around. <laughs> Once a kid learns to walk, uh, suddenly uh, they may not want to be picked up. They kind of squirm when you go to pick them up. Because they want to be independent and walk. You know, it's an awakening of their personal vanity, maybe. <laughs> it all depends because Holy everything needs to be filtered through the Holy Spirit. But we've cut, we've abandoned the Holy Spirit. So that makes us subject to werewolves, vampires, and zombies. See, if we were filled with the Holy Spirit, they could not come near us. They would not smell us. They would not want to bite us. Because to bite us, they would die. They they can't they can't even come near. They they actually freeze in their tracks. I mean, I've I've battled with vampires and zombies <laughs> out on the streets where we live. I mean, they're not quite like the movies, but it's I mean it's there. That spiritual reality is is alive and well in the world today. So what what stops the spirit that dwelleth in them is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But it's not going to dwell in you unless you're diligent 
to to discover, not to show, to prove to everybody else, but to discover whether or not you really have accepted the Holy Spirit. You have to you have to see and do. You, you can't just say. And Jesus says this. This is his teachings. Paul teach Christ first. Not those who say, but those who doeth the will of the Father. Because that's how you are perfected in the Holy Spirit. You act upon what God is showing you. And what God is showing you, it is not right to covet your neighbor's goods. So if you have to take the benefits of the world, then you need to be striving daily to create the kingdom of God in a network of people that are seeking that same kingdom. Now, you can be bluntly honest with people. You can gather together and share what you see. But you need to do it in love, not not trying to dictate to other people so that they have to see it the way you see it. Let the Holy Spirit cast out the evil in your midst. This is what I've seen in casting out demons, that you don't do it. Anybody who tells you that they cast out demons, that they they need to look at what they're saying. <laughs> the Holy Spirit casteth out the demons. The presence of the Holy Spirit casteth out the casteth out the demons. It's not you, but you may be the instrument of the Holy Spirit. It may be working through you, but it's not your power because you're not possessive of it. I mean. That was one of the things that was people wonder, why, why does it matter that Jesus was rich? Because it says that he, in the Bible, it says he, though he was rich, he made himself poor. And of course, it, once you understand that Joseph Arimathea was his uncle and he was extremely rich and he was, Jesus knew Simon uh, the leper, who was actually Simon the jar maker, and he was extremely rich. And But he made himself poor. Why did he make himself poor? He was the rightful king, but he also was both king and priest, like Melchizedek, both king and priest, because he was the cousin, his cousin, his elder cousin, John the Baptist, was literally the rightful high priest of that time. It was not Caiaphas who was the rightful high priest. He was the one that was in the temple at the time of Christ, not at the time of John the Baptist, but at the time of uh, of Christ's crucifixion. Caiaphas was in charge in the temple. But it, that's not the temple. God never wanted all these people waiting around for building the temple again in Jerusalem. That's not the temple that's going to be built. Now, they might build that one. They might not build that one. It's irrelevant. The temple that God wants to see built is one that is built of lively stones, which is this network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands that are actually operating not according to some religious doctrine, but according to the Spirit of God. I tell you, there is power. There, But they don't think of themselves as power. They don't even see that power. They're just returning to the ways of God. They're not returning to the vomit. They're not returning to the mire. They're returning to the ways of God. And that is a tremendous, tremendous power. You know, I, I write on this page of abandonment that I sent out to the network. Everyone who is on these network email groups, which is these Google email groups, should understand that these groups are here to help you form a living network of local core congregation. We call them cores uh, because they're, they're core 
to the kingdom, but it also stands for Congregation of Recorded Elders. Because you're not really a member, you're kind of on a list, but it's a free assembly, so you're just make a record of the fact that, you know, like when I went to the zoo as a small boy with a private school on a field trip, we were all supposed to have kind of a buddy that we picked, and they were supposed to keep track of us, and and we were supposed to keep track of them. Well, I got separated. Nobody knew the whole day long, and I couldn't find the rest of the school. <laughs> I wandered around the zoo and tried to find them and everything, and finally went back to the front gate and watched them at the, I think it was the monkey pen, for hours and hours until everybody finally showed up. Nobody missed me. Nobody even knew I was gone. And uh, it wasn't a very good buddy system. but So that's why God invented the buddy system times ten. <laughs> called the tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands. It, because you actually, everybody, everybody, not just the minister, but everybody in the congregation is responsible for everybody else. This is why it was just absolutely astounding to me. Just, just I couldn't even hardly fathom. Somebody had done so much study and so much reading and so brilliant mind did not get it that when he picked a minister he needed to acquaint himself with all the other people that have picked that same minister because that's his congregation not the congregation he serves but the congregation he is in which is a congregation of ministers such a simple little concept but the whole pattern is destroyed if you don't understand it it's not written in your heart. But it wasn't evidently written in his heart at that time. Hopefully he'll f- eventually figure it out. That we care about Christ and Christ cares about everybody. So we have to care about everyone. And the way to do that is to take on your position within that network. Where if you're in a congregation of elders, you care about all those elder elders. Not because of what they believe, but because of what Christ believed. Whoa. There's a difference. And Christ came to love, to serve. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, serve cupcakes and uh, pudding every time you gather together. But it means that you have to gather together with the hope of bringing light into the room. The light of the Holy Spirit. Not your particular light. Not, you know, your burning of the tree of knowledge. But the light of the Holy Spirit, you come together with the humblest of hearts. Knowing that you have abandoned God. And you come there and you sit quietly hoping that God helps you. You I tell ministers this and a lot of them don't get it yet. But uh, they're starting to pick it up, some of them. The most profound sermons that you give within your congregation... And then the gathering of people, whether it's a whole congregation or just somebody on the street, you often say nothing, which takes us back to what we talked about at the first part of this program, is this invisible connection between you and your spouse, you and your children, you and your twin. There's an invisible connection where they are touching your heart and you are touching their heart. But what's in your heart? Is Christ in your heart? Or werewolves, vampires, and zombies in your heart? Well, how do you get the vampire, zombies, and werewolves out of your heart? You have to heal. You have to forgive. You have to become different than 
what's in them. What's in them is short of the kingdom of God. What is in them is the desire to rule, to control, to manipulate. I mean, you see it in the werewolves. You know, they're like beasts just trying to devour others. You know, this vampires controlling, manipulating, hypnotizing. You know, the Bella Lugosi out there. Zombie, he just goes around like, uh, you know, if you go to our, one of our, uh, I don't know if it's on our zombie page. I should make sure it's on there. The little clip from a Bob Hope show where he talks about, you know, ask what are zombies. And the guy says, well, they're mindless creatures uh, brought back to life. They wander around uh, not caring who they hurt. And he says, oh, you mean like Democrats? <laughs> this is old 1940s, I think, uh, movie. But uh, there he said it right in the movie. But uh, the reality is that's that's what zombies are. They're they're the walking dead, and Jesus talks about zombies in the Bible. Let the dead bury the dead. He doesn't say let the dead bite you. He says let the dead bury the dead. Let the those people are dead. They're all concerned about what they want. They want the benefits. At the expense of their neighbor. And that's okay in modern Christendom. But modern Christendom isn't real Christendom. It's fake Christendom. It's false. It's apostasy. And it's full of zombies. These churches are full of zombies. Now, if the Holy Spirit is entering into you and you're beginning to wake up, your mission is to bring the dead back to life. What a good place to start learning what that means by gathering together in a congregation. Now, what's going to bring them back to life? Your sermons? Your private interpretation of the scriptures? Or the love of God flowing through you and your diligent actions of actually caring about one another? Your forgiveness. You, you're not going to be forgiven. God can't even enter into you until you forgive others. So you want a congregation that is not perfect. Because in a congregation that's not perfect, you're going to get wonderful opportunities of forgiveness. In marriage, to make a marriage work, wonderful opportunity of forgiveness. This is why, you know, your ministers are supposed to be the husbands of one wife. Because the guys who have divorced evidently had a problem with forgiveness. Now, it happens. And we can forgive that even. But abandonment, what is divorce but abandonment? Abandonment. You cannot be abandoning the rest of the kingdom for your congregation. You can't be abandoning your congregation for your private interpretation. You're, you're going to bring the dead back to life when you let life in you. When you eat of the tree of life rather than the tree of knowledge. Have your knowledge, but that's separate from the tree of life. That's in another place. You need to be guided by the tree of life. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, if we if we look at the uh, early church, what was it doing? Was it was had that kind of thing that the early church was doing ever been done before, or was it completely new or completely different? Now Jesus talks about old wineskins. I'm not going to put new wine in old wineskins. And the old wineskin was what was going on at that time in Judea. The, the Pharisee system, etc. He was he said right away that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. And he was going to give it to another who would bear fruit. So the kingdom was there on earth. It was right there. But it was not bearing fruit because somebody had changed something. Somebody had altered something and it was not bearing fruit. So he was going to restart it. And of course, in order to restart the kingdom, you needed someone who was both priest and king. And now the, the king within the kingdom is supposed to be every man and his family. And uh, that's the way it's supposed to be going. And so because the, the kingdom of heaven, we know this way back from Daniel, this from generation to generation. We should know it because of so much that they deal with, you know, Adam and and Seth and, you know, this whole lineage thing. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. Well, the kingdom of hell is from generation to generation too. And uh, so th- this is this very important that this, this pattern is passed down. You know, rights are inherited. If your parents have sold their rights, then you can't necessarily inherit those rights from your parents. I mean, Israel went into bondage for 400 years because of the act of one generation. So, most of you were all born in bondage. The bondage of Egypt. Because of the acts of the generations before you. But you have to forgive them. And God can still arrange for you that somebody was talking about withdrawing consent. Uh, you know, we should be working to withdraw consent. What you should be doing is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then you would have cause to withdraw consent. And and what happened with Egypt? How did they get out? Did they all did Moses come and say, "Okay, everybody withdraw consent?" No. He taught them how to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he and it was very helpful to teach them this during the plagues of Egypt where they had to take care of one another while they weren't getting any benefits from Egypt from Pharaoh. He wasn't going to give them any straw, but they still had to make their bricks. This what what are they talking about? They're talking about the metaphor of not getting benefits from the government, but you still had to produce, and you had to take care of one another. You couldn't depend upon the government. And then they actually got so good at that they not only went through the plagues without much difficulty, they were able to help Egyptians out because the Egyptian FEMA, the federal emergency management agency, but actually it was the Pharaoh's emergency management agency, so we call it FEMA with a PH, was unsuccessful and incompetent. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? They were unable to handle the crisis of the plagues. But the Israelites did. And they not only helped each other, they helped the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians loved them. Which is one of the reasons why they were let go. Because they were becoming more popular than the Pharaoh. 
And then the Pharaoh tried to destroy them, and then God prevented that. They didn't, they didn't stop the Pharaoh. They didn't fight the Pharaoh. God stopped them. That's the thing. You guys aren't following what God said. You're following your private interpretations. If you were following what God said, you would have an entire network that took care of all the social welfare for you and thousands and thousands and thousands of people like you all over the world. But they're not even hearing the gospel. If if everybody that was in our network were actually supporting the network, we could get the voice out all over the place. But it's not written on their hearts yet to do that. And so, we do what we can. When When it's written on your heart, you will see change. When you become diligent in the doing of the Word, it will change. So anyway, we talk about somebody thinking, oh, well, the early church didn't organize in the tens, hundreds of thousands. We got... You know, I could have made the book three, four, five times as big as I did, but I gave them enough evidence that they could see how the kingdom operated in the book, That Kingdom Comes. There's enough evidence in there that you can see how it works. But if it's not written on your heart, you're not going to see. Because, see, I don't want you to see what I can prove or show or whatever. I want you to see it because it's written on your heart. But it's not going to be written on your heart if you keep eating from the tree of knowledge. You see, if I, if it's just about giving you enough knowledge of the kingdom that you're going to change your ways, you're still eating of the tree of knowledge. So therefore, I limit the size of the book to what it do. Limit it to. Because I'm trying to speak to the spirit that dwelleth in you. But you won't let that spirit here because you're too busy eating of the tree of knowledge. Figuring it out. Studying it. And you become redundant. And you miss the obvious principles. Like I said, one of the most studious of the people that were with us did not understand that the congregation of ministers that he is in is his congregation, not the congregation he serves. He didn't get that. Now, I've told people that, so now they'll memorize that. But there'll be other dots you'll miss. You need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Not by flesh and blood. Not by carefully rationalized out arguments with all kinds of proof. If you believe by proof, if you believe by signs and wonders, you don't believe by the Holy Spirit. So it's telling that you don't see the real gospel of the kingdom. And I can tell you why. But I'll do that with you on an individual basis. <laughs> because you're not willing to see the truth about yourself. About your own lust and wantonness. Because it's there. But anyway, at the time of Christ, the Levites, who had been the church in the wilderness, the called out in the wilderness, had been corrupted by false interpretations of the Torah. Christ was not just a reformer but would take that government away from these Pharisees. And he could do that because he was priest and king. Like Melchizedek. Who were a part of the corruption and appoint the government to another called out group, another church, which we see him doing. I Telling him he's going to do it. Saying it was his pleasure to do it. And then he actually did it. And that was the new Israel. The church was the new Israel. A lot of people don't like that. 
Now you can go back to, you know, to Jerome, who, you know, first one to translate the Bible into Latin, supposedly. And he says, bishops, presbyters, presbyters are elders, elders are just heads of families, and deacons, diaconists, leaders of ten, occupy in the church the same position as those which were occupied by Aaron and uh, you know his sons and the Levites in the temple. And of course the temple was originally just a tent that was out there doing what? Serving the tabernacles of the congregation. They always say the tabernacle of the congregation, but it's the same. Tabernacle of the congregation is the tent of the individual congregation, which is the homes of individual congregations. And what were they doing? They were rightly dividing the bread from house to house, whatever was contributed to them. The tithing was not 10%. It was what flowed from the tens. They can't do their job unless people are giving to them because they're the government that doesn't exercise authority. All the taxes in uh, Israel for hundreds of years were you taxing yourself, voluntarily contributing to a network of ministers who were providing the services of government without exercising authority one over the other? Which is exactly what Jesus told them to do and appointed them to do. And the early church was doing They were working in the temple, a government building, rightly dividing the bread from house to house and also spreading the word. But it's spiritual. You need that spiritual kingdom in order to manifest that character of Christ. That called out early church was doing things much different than the modern church does today. They go to men who call themselves benefactors that exercise authority. Christians were killed in the Colosseum because they wouldn't sign up for such systems. They've all signed up now. And they've all become merchandise, human resources. They've cursed their children with billions and trillions of dollars worth of debt. They are back in the bondage of Egypt under new Caesars and pharaohs and federal emergency management agencies that will fail them in their time of need. And is failing them now. They need to come together with the intention of serving not just their local congregation, but the whole kingdom. Sacrificing daily. Because that is what Christ came to do. They must come together to do the same thing. They are not saved by their sacrifice. But they cannot sacrifice unless they forgive. They they won't want to give to a congregation that steps on their toes. Why? Because they don't know how to forgive. But they that forgiveness that is required for them to have the incentive to give to a congregation that just stepped on their toes. You know, maybe one congregant stepped on their toes, whatever. But in order to give, they have to forgive. But they have to forgive in order to be given. And what does God want to give you? Does He want to give you riches and wealth? He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants to raise you from the dead. He wants to give you life. This is the nature of God. He wants to give life to others. The nature of evil, He wants to take life away. He wants to withhold life. He wants to accumulate life to Himself. 
what nature is in you? If the nature of evil is in you, you've been bit by the nature of evil. And how do you get cured? You forgive. Forgiveness heals. Forgiveness works. But you tell me you forgive, but don't want to give. Because he was rude to you. Because he was... He doesn't have your ideas. He didn't say yes, yes to your ideas. He didn't worship your ideology. <laughs> uh, idolatry. or No, ideology. No, same thing. Same thing. For if you love them which love you, what thanks have ye? The word there, thanks, is the word grace. It's the word normally translated grace almost everywhere else in the Bible. But they put thanks there. What grace have you? If you're saved by grace, but you don't forgive, you're not saved. If you're not, love is not just forgiveness. Love is forgiveness in action. That's what love is. Love is forgiveness in action. You, you cannot love without forgiving. You cannot be charitable without forgiving. You have to forgive, be charitable, and then you get grace. You don't earn it. It's still grace. It's still a gift. But you, God can't get it into you. There's no place to put it because you're full of. <coughs> you, you, well, uh, you know, I didn't quite finish that sentence there. Excuse me, but you're full of something. But it ain't God's grace. The sinners also love those that love them. Sinners love those that love them. But it's not the love of Christ. It's not the character of Christ. You're not coming together in the name of Christ. The greatest grace comes from not giving to those in your congregation, but giving to those that are not in your congregation. To giving away, casting your bread upon the waters is not giving to your congregation. That's just giving to your congregation. That's giving to your buddies. Casting your bread upon the waters is giving out there way away on the waters. Waters are people. That's a symbol of peoples. You have to think kingdom, not tribe, not congregation. You've abandoned the kingdom for the congregation. The guy thinks, oh, I'm serving my congregation and I'm doing, you know, you're putting yourself on a pedestal and you're even baiting the hook. Repent. Come back to loving one another in a kingdom way, not just a congregational way. People talk about fellowship. Oh, you know, I started writing a little article on fellowship. It's huge. <laughs> this goes on because there's so many aspects to fellowship. You don't want the fellowship of the modern church because the modern church doesn't see. They wouldn't be doing what they're doing. The world wouldn't be in the state. If everybody who says they're Christian in America was really a Christian, you would see an entire different landscape. There would be no danger of destruction of America. But it's because you've been workers of iniquity going to church, saying you love Jesus, but actually workers of iniquity. And Jesus didn't say there'd be a few like that. He said there would be many. He uses the term many workers of iniquity. Many will come in my name, claim to come in my name, but they actually are far from me. And that's where the modern church is today. And you may be right about the Pope and you may be right about the rapture and you may be right about, you know, I don't know what. I mean, everybody's got their little pet ideology. 
But if you don't have the charity that Paul was talking about, where Galatians, the poorest of the churches, was giving to Corinth, one of the richer of the churches, and where, you know, Syrian churches are helping out Jerusalem churches, and Jerusalem churches are helping out others, and and everybody helped out Jerusalem when it was destroyed. And they had a place to go because there was this vast network where people had been casting their bread upon the waters from nation to nation, not just from congregation to the congregation in the immediately next town. By the way, I'm just going to throw this out. If anybody knows anybody in Kingman that can help out one of our ministers, get a hold of us. Get a hold of us on the network. Uh, uh, send me an email. Put the word church in the subject line because uh, we got a guy who's kind of stranded there. This is this is the way it should work in the kingdom of God that you're helping one another. He's not from that area but he happens to be stranded in that area right now and could use a little help maybe. And so that's what we want people to start to think in those terms of helping one another. This is This is turning around this is what John the Baptist was saying. And he'd been working at this and he was probably one of the Essenes and the Essenes had been around for 300 years and they were known for their philanthropy. That They took care of all the needs of their communities within their communities and they, their communities were networking together. But Christ, you know, really jump-started that concept. And Pentecost, thousands of people accepted Jesus Christ as their king. Jesus as their Christ, as their Messiah. Thousands upon thousands of Jews accepted Jesus Christ. And the ministers that Jesus appointed and the 120 in the upper room and thousands that follow, there was over 1,200 known bishops, which is ministers of ministers, 1,200 known bishops by the time of Constantine. And he invited them all to his little council. And 319 showed up. <laughs> and uh, uh, that 319 that showed up, they may not have all been bishops. We just know there are 319 people who showed up. They probably came with other people, maybe other ministers or aides or what have you. And they there wasn't even 300 there left when that council was done. And the next council they called, only 150 showed up. So what's going on? Is that an all, now we we think the churches all the things that came out of those councils. They they weren't even a quorum. They weren't even a fraction of a quorum. Why do we even think by any shape or form that what came out of those councils was really the heart of Christianity? And then you got Constantine hiring Eusebius to pr- produce the first 50 Bibles. In order to do that, he had to exclude all kinds of writings. You know where it says all Scripture is given, you know, da-da-da-da, in Timothy? Uh, there was no Bible then. There was a Torah, but there was no Bible. And the word he uses there for that we translate Scripture is writings. He's saying all writings can be given for, you know, these good purposes of understanding. All writings. Why? Because... Understanding the kingdom of God and His righteousness doesn't come from writings. Writings come from flesh and blood. It comes from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit when you sit down to read the Bible, you ain't got nothing. You're not going to figure it out without the Holy Spirit. Period. That's it. 
then you're not going to be able to do what it says to do without the Holy Spirit. Because the kingdom of heaven is first within you. But once it's within you, we should see the fruits of that budding out of you. And the fruits of that is that you begin to gather together and give, not just to your congregation, but to all congregations through a network of charity, a network of love, a network of caring for one another, like the early church was doing. You're not doing that. You're all denominational. You're all scattered. You're all living at the end of the road thinking, I'm a Christian because I help people that I stumble upon. But you're not casting your bread upon the waters. As a matter of fact, a lot of those end of the roaders, they're already at the end of the road. They, they're they the they're the poorest of givers. They don't even give a half shekel. They need to forgive. And they need to give. And not just those they love. And if they don't learn that, they cannot be perfected in Christ. They must go that way of Christ. I go on to say, yet at the first sign of conflict, or even uh, less than the warmest of affection and fellowship, people often abandon the congregations they gather with. They say uh, they intend to love, but then they abandon them. They abandon the kingdom. They abandon the network. Why? Because they're still back in the garden, hiding from the truth about themselves, that they didn't really get it. They're not really giving like Christ's giving. They're not really coming to serve. A lot of times they want to do something rather than give money because money's more important. But yet, Jesus talks about the widow lady who gives this tiny little penny, that she has more grace in the kingdom of God. Because she gave from her lack. Most of these people don't lack that much. I tell you, if you're not giving, you should give. You know, we actually have people that say, oh, you don't have to give a tithing unless you raise sheep and fruits of the ground. But everything you produce is fruits of the ground. (laughs) You're the ground. You're the earth. You're the Adama. Everything is giving. You know, that's... That's that rationalization in reading the scriptures to get you out of actually giving in the way that you should be giving. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because they unmoor these metaphors that, you know, and the, uh, I'm surprised they don't go down the lake and throw bread in every, every day or every week. You know, because, I mean, it says, cast your bread upon the waters, so shouldn't we be out there throwing our bread upon the waters? They're trying to explain to you how the kingdom of God works. But if it's not working in your heart, we're not going to see it working in your hands. And you're not going to be cured. And you're going to remain dead. Until then, peace upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.